0: Section 60 of the Cambridge Modern History, Volume 1, The Renaissance. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 17. The Christian Renaissance by M. R. James. Part 3. Only the briefest allusion has so far been made to the development of one great department of Christian learning. Ecclesiastical history. The men of the thirteenth and fourteenth centuries had in their hands not a few of the authorities which we account as of capital importance. They had the history of Eusebius in a Latin version. They had the tripartite history embodying Socrates, Sozomen, and E. They had Beta, Gregory of Tours, and the Speculum Historiale of Vincent. They had innumerable biographies of saints. In spite of this, it will not be contended that a true and discriminating view of church history, based on the best sources, was a possession of the Middle Ages. It is clear that highly incorrect views were current as to the development of doctrine, ecclesiastical jurisdiction, and liturgical use. This could not fail to be the case when such documents as the false decretals and the donation of Constantine passed as genuine and on the other hand, when their spuriousness became an accepted fact, a reaction was inevitable. We have seen that the first attacks on them did not come from men who had broken with the Roman church. It was Lorenzo Valla who exposed the donation of Constantine, and Roman Catholics did not scruple to impugn the decretals. Cusanus rejects the epistles of Clement and Anacletes. Erasmus points out, in a preface to Athanasius, the way in which the letter of anteros was made up naturally however the attitude of the evangelical critics towards the credentials of the latin church was a far more radical one everything in their eyes was corrupt a return to primitive simplicity was essential and the width of the chasm which separated the roman usages of their day from those of the apostolic age could easily be demonstrated by a categorical setting forth of the history and development of those usages from the beginning. With such an object, the great compilation of the Maticburg Centauria was begun, and it has some claim to be looked upon as the first church history compiled on critical principles. It was, of course, a tendon schrift; Nothing else was possible. Nevertheless, it brought together and laid before the world, for the first time, an enormous amount of information either dispersed or unknown before a committee whose composition varied from time to time was responsible for the work the period dealt with was divided into centuries and the events literature doctrine and other characteristics of each century were separately treated according to a regular plan the twelfth century was the last that was reached the moving spirit of the committee was matthias flasius illyricus who had already made himself a name as a controversialist on the protestant side his clave Sacri Scripture sums up the exegetical knowledge of his day. His book on the testimony of earlier ages against the papacy, catalogus testium veritatis, gives proof of an enormous range of reading, and among our smaller debts to him may be reckoned the fact that he collected and printed as a supplement to that work a large mass of medieval Latin poetry, largely from a manuscript of English origin. Whatever the merits or demerits of the Maticburg history may have been, it speedily became a famous and influential book, so famous and so influential indeed that those whose position it attacked were compelled to issue a counterblast. A worthy champion was found in Cesare Baronio, cardinal of the title of Saints Nereus and Achilleus. The twelve volumes of his annales ecclesiastici published between 1588 and 1607 covered the same period as the work of the centuriators the stores of the vatican of which after 1596 he was librarian furnished an unrivalled stock of material and his own previous studies of which some fruit had already been seen in his edition of the roman martiology enabled him to use this material to advantage that baronius like the centuriators was a partisan needs hardly to be said his accuracy and critical instinct moreover leave much to be desired still his erudition was enormous his services to learning great and his love of antiquity genuine and fervent an eloquent witness of this love is the appeal to posterity inscribed in the cardinal's own titular church whose ancient arrangements he had himself restored preserving with a reverence uncommon in his day all that he could find of its original furniture. A brief parenthesis may be allowed at this point on the application of the science of archaeology to things Christian. For more than a century had the remains of classical art and architecture been studied and treasured before it occurred to scholars that the church possessed antiquities which merited consideration. Probably the first book entirely devoted to the consideration of Christian monuments was that of Onofrio Panfinio, on the older Roman basilicas, published in 1554. Rome was thus the parent of Christian, as of classical archaeology. In 1578, the reopening of the catacombs began, and the discoveries of ancient paintings and inscriptions excited a keen interest though it was not until 1632 that the first great work on roma subterranea that of Bosio, saw the light the study was carried on and developed during the seventeenth century chiefly by italians it is probably fair to say that no work of real importance in this department was done outside italy before 1700 to return to the wider field of church history in this the centuriators and baronius may be regarded as pioneers theirs were of course not the only works of the kind that appeared but they deserve special prominence in view of their large design and the extent of the new ground they broke we ought to glance briefly at the progress made in two subdivisions of this great subject one is the study of the lives of the saints most people have some idea of the character of the popular medieval collection of such lives the Legenda Oreja of Jacobus de Voragin was, of all, the most widely diffused both in manuscript and print, and it was one which made no pretensions either to completeness or critical selection. The latter collections, that of Mombritius, for example, or the Cataloga Santorum, were of the same character, though of larger compass. Criticism of these ancient documents other than stricture could not well be expected from the Protestant side, say perhaps in the case of the acts of some of the earliest martyrs. The first man who attempted seriously the task of collecting the best accessible texts of the lives of the saints was probably Aloysius Lipomanus, who was assisted by such scholars as Gentianus Hervetus and Cardinal Serleto. His copious employment of Greek authorities is a principal mark of his superiority to his predecessors. His collection filled eight volumes, and was a worthy beginning of the work which, in later centuries, was continued by Boland, Papéroche, Sourius, Runehart, and a host of others. The other department of church history, of which it was our intention to speak, was the bibliography of Christian literature. Jerome had set the fashion of compiling notices of Christian writers in their works. Gennadius had supplemented his book, and the tracks of both had been widely read. The Middle Ages had, as we have seen, done something towards continuing the tradition in such works as the Catalogus Scriptorum of John Boston. It was natural that it should occur to the men of the Renaissance period to take stock of the massive writings newly brought to light, and very useful work was done by several in classifying and cataloguing the writers of all ages up to their own. Johann Trithemius, Trittenheim, abbot of Spineheim, wrote a catalogue of church writers about 1492. In 1545, Conrad Gesner printed his Bibliotheca, a far larger book, not confined to ecclesiastical authors. The Bibliotheca Sancta of Sixtus of Siena, 1586, is rather an encyclopedia of literature connected with the Bible. All three books are interesting and remarkable achievements. That of Trithemius is a guide, not always a safe one, to the literary possessions of dying medievalism. He knows less accurately than Gesner what books actually exist and are accessible, but he is invaluable in marking a stage in the period of rediscovery and revival. It is most interesting to compare his list of authors with that derivable from the more scientific Gesner. Sixtus of Siena's book, lastly is still valuable not only because it presents us with a comprehensive view of the standard of biblical and patristic knowledge at a certain period but because the author apparently had access to documents of early date which have since disappeared the greatest man who continued the work of trithemius during the sixteenth century was no doubt cardinal bellarmine his book on ecclesiastical writers produced during his early years gives evidence of his great power and in a particular of his critical ability, but though it may be intrinsically better than the works of Trithemius or Gesner, it does not occupy so important a place in the history of this special form of literature. Of more enduring value were the bibliographies devoted to particular countries, notably that of Bale, which are embodied his own collections, and those of Leland. It gives a really amazing conspectus of the literary history of medieval England the progress of the formation of libraries which we traced roughly during the period preceding the invention of printing demands our attention again in the earlier part of the sixteenth century there is no need to dwell at length upon the obvious fact that the possession of a library of reasonable extent was now within the power of nearly all students in the fourteenth century a man might be proud of owning thirty manuscripts he could now for the same money purchase one or two hundred printed books Most prominent scholars possessed in addition a certain number of manuscripts, but these were in most cases late in date, and in proportion as the critical sense was developed. The productions of the fifteenth-century scribes lost their values as compared with the correct and beautiful texts issued by Aldo or Froben, and supervised by Erasmus or Betius Renanus, still a long time must needs elapse before complete editions of the greater greek fathers chrysostomse or basel could be produced and for the purposes of studying these unprinted texts manuscripts were still indispensable nay they continued to be multiplied this was especially the case with greek texts numberless are the sixteenth-century manuscripts of greek authors pagan and christian alike the relics of grossin's library at corpus christi college oxford Afford a ready instance, or the books given by Cardinal Pole to New College. A glance at the catalogue of the Greek manuscripts at Paris is yet more instructive in this respect. Veresimus, Darmarius, Valeriano of Forli, and a score of others were gaining great names as copyists in the service of princes secular and ecclesiastical. Every noble and every prelate was in honor bound to be the owner of as brilliant a collection as he could. In these libraries, the Greek classics were doubtless more prominent and more valued than the Greek fathers, yet these latter held their place also, especially on the shelves of the princes of the church. In England, for example, Warham, Pole, and Cranmer had no inconsiderable stores of such books, and there is no lack of similar instances on the continent. Representative examples of the libraries of individual scholars of humbler position can also be cited, we have a catalogue of the books possessed by Grossen at his death, and the library of Beatus Rianus forms the nucleus of the town library of Schlechtstadt. We have spoken incidentally of the work done by such men as Erasmus in the publication of patristic texts. Before we close this imperfect survey of the moment which we have called the Christian Renaissance, it will be right to ask what progress was made during the 16th century in the task of bringing together the literature of the early Christian centuries and making it accessible in print. It appears to us that the most effective way of answering this question will be to review the actual work done in certain selected instances, and we shall not shrink from entering upon bibliographical detail to a somewhat larger extent than we have hitherto done. Our survey will naturally not be complete. Its aim will be to give an idea of the activity of those engaged, and to show in what quarters this activity was specially noticeable it will be convenient to adopt an order mainly depending on the dates supposed or real of the writings concerned a place apart may be assigned to the two great jewish writers of the first century whose works have had so potent an influence on christian learning to wit philo and josephus a tract by philo in a latin version was first printed at paris in 1520 by augustino giustiniani a further installment likewise in latin appeared at basil in 1527 one of the Philonian writings in this volume made a fabulous chronicle of biblical events from adam to saul in spite of its remarkably sensational contents and of the fact that it was reprinted at least thrice during the century this early apocryphon suffered the singular fate of being absolutely forgotten until a year or two ago when attention was called to it once more. Not until 1552 did any of Philo's works appear in Greek. It was Adrian Tournebet who produced the first collection. John Christofferson, afterwards Bishop of Chichester, Sigismund Galenius, Frederick Morel, and David Hochschild were the scholars who contributed most to the publication and elucidation of this author during the second half of the century. But no great collective edition of his works was brought out before the 17th century. Josephus, as we have seen, was known during the medieval period through the medium of ancient Latin versions. As late as the year 1524, indeed, doubts were expressed by scholars as to whether the Greek originals of his writings were still in existence. Many editions in Latin were produced from about 1470 until 1544. One of these, that of Basil, 1537, had been superintended by Erasmus. In 1544 the first Greek Josephus appeared, also at Basel, and from Froben's Press. The text was supplied mainly by a manuscript, then the property of Diego Hurtado Mendoza, which with other of his books found a home in the Escorial. An Orleans edition, printed in 1591 by de la Roviere, also gave the Greek text exactly a century later, Thomas Ittick superintended a Leipzig edition, and Edward Bernard issued a portion of one at Oxford. We may next say something of the apocryphal literature, and in so doing we will confine ourselves to that connected with the New Testament. The Old Testament pseudo-epigrapha, other than those which were circulated with the Vulgate, or the Septuagint, the fourth book of Edras, for example, or the Prayer of Manassas, were almost wholly unknown during our period of the one really important exception the testaments of the twelve patriarchs we have already spoken on the other hand there were spurious gospels epistles and acts of apostles which continued to influence popular imagination and sacred art both in east and west the gospel of nicodemus so called the letters of paul and seneca the correspondence of our lord with abgarus of edessa had never been forgotten. Narratives of the infancy of the Virgin and of Christ enjoyed a certain repute, and the fabulous passions of the apostles were taken seriously by the mass of readers. The first document of this class, which had been previously unknown to the West, was the important so called protoevangelium. This had been brought from the East by Guillaume Postel, who insisted that it was a genuine work of James, the brother of the Lord, and contained authentic history. For these assertions he was soundly castigated by Henri Estienne, who seems to have suspected wrongly that Postel himself was the author. The book was printed in Latin in 1552, and in Greek in 1563, by Michael Neander and the first collection ever made of Christian Apocrypha. Grinesius' Orthodoxographa of 1569, and Glazer's Apocrypha of 1614, are the only subsequent collections of texts which deserve mention before 1703. In that year appeared the Codex Apocryphus of John Albert Fabricius, eclipsing all previous attempts and still an indispensable authority on the subject of the spurious Christian literature. The next group of writings to be considered are those conventionally classed as the Apostolic Fathers, that is, the Epistles of Barnabas, Clement, Ignatius, and Polycarp and the shepherd of Hermas. Occupy a place midway between them and the apocryphal literature are the pseudo-clementine recognitions and homilies, the apostolic constitutions, and the liturgies current under the name of various apostles. We will notice them in order. It was long before the two first-named authors made their appearance at all, Barnabas at Paris in 1645, in a posthumous publication of Hughes Menard, superintended by dachery clement in 1633 at oxford edited by patrick young the letters of ignatius extant as is well known in two recensions when copiously interpolated were known in latin versions in medieval times and the letter of polycarp was preserved with them the longer latin version was first printed at paris in 1498 along with the pseudo dionysian works the editor was jacques Laferre de Table. they did not appear in greek until 1557 when valentine frid pasius edited them at dillingen about a century later in 1644 the first great critical exposition of the vexed ignatian question was made by archbishop usher the bulky allegory called the shepherd of hermas was current like the last-named documents in latin versions the Greek original, indeed, was only discovered in the middle of the 19th century. The Latin appeared first in 1513 at Paris. Lefebvre Taple was in this instance again the editor. He rather obscured the true character of his text by discarding its old name of pastor in substituting one apparently of his own devising, Liber trium vir orum et trium spiritualium Virginum last come the important pseudominus works associated with the name of clement of rome the two romances called the recognitions and the homilies of clement and the manual of ecclesiastical Uses known as the apostolic constitutions the first of these had been early popularized in the latin version of rufinus in which form alone it has survived complete le frere tables printed it first at paris in 1504 the homilies which we have only in Greek, were not given to the world until 1672. Bovius and Toranius in 1563 produced editions of the Constitutions, the former in Latin, the latter in the original Greek. The whole series of documents which we have been describing was brought together and edited into a masterly manner by J. P. Cotelier of Paris in 1672. The Greek apologists form a convenient class and we may survey their destinies next the only one who was introduced to the west in the fifteenth century was one of the obscurest athenagoras large portions of his book on the resurrection were rendered into latin by ficino and also by g vala imprinted in fourteen eighty eight the greek appeared in fifteen forty one the apology was edited by gesner at zurich and by robert estienne at paris in fifteen fifty seven The first portion of Justin Martyr's works that saw the light was the address to the Greeks, printed in the Latin version of Pico della Mirandola in 1507. In 1551, Robert Estienne brought out a corpus of this writer's works, genuine and spurious, which for most of them, notably the two apologies and the dialogue with Trypto, was the Editio Princeps. Tatian and Theopolis first appeared at Zurich in 1546, the unimportant tract of Hermias in 1553 at Basel. The editor of the first two was Gesner, of the third Raphael Saylor. All the extant works of Clement of Alexandra, with a few unimportant exceptions, were placed in the hands of scholars together in the Florentine edition of 1550, superintended by Pietro Vittorio, but the best work done on the text of this father was that of Friedrich Silberg who brought out his writings at Heidelberg in 1592. The printer was Komelin. The first nine editions of Irenaeus, ranging in date from 1526 to 1567, all give a text constructed by Erasmus, and improved to a certain extent by him and those which were published during his lifetime. The Erasmian text, however, never attained a very high pitch of excellence, A step forward was taken by Galassius, who brought out an Irenaeus at Geneva in 1570, and more decided progress by Fouardent of Paris, whose best edition was printed at Cologne in 1596. Nothing of any great importance was done for the elucidation of this writer before the publications of Grabe's great work at Oxford in 1702. The works of origin, largely preserved in old Latin versions, were never wholly unrepresented in western libraries it is a curious fact that in spite of the deep interest which this great thinker excited in the minds of men like erasmus no portion of his writings appeared in the original greek during the sixteenth century as early as fourteen seventy five some homilies were printed in latin and the books against celsus also in latin in fourteen eighty one a collective edition in the same language was brought out by merlin at paris in 1512 erasmus was engaged on another when he died in 1536 and beatus reninus completed it in that year genebrard archbishop of axe produced a third in 1574 the first attempt at a complete edition in greek and latin was that of peter daniel hewitt afterwards bishop of avranches which appeared at rouen in 1668 it included only the exegetical works and was never completed. Herbert Thorndyke of Trinity College, Cambridge, had made large preparations about the same time as Hewitt for a collective edition, no part of which was printed. His manuscripts, among which is the unique copy of the important treatise on prayer, are preserved in the library of his college. The first editor of one of the longer treatises in Greek was David Hoshel, who published the books against Celsus in 1605. We have no right to inflict a complete patristic bibliography on our readers. One more Greek father only shall be mentioned, namely Eusebius of Caesarea. His Preparatorio Evangelica has been mentioned more than once in the body of this chapter. George of Trebizond's Latin version of it, faulty as it was, was printed again and again before 1500. The Greek text appeared at Paris in 1544 from the press of Robert Estienne. the same indefatigable worker brought out in the same year the history of Eusebius in Greek for the first time, along with the later Greek ecclesiastical historians. In Latin, the history had long been current, and the 16th century it had seen at least two fresh Latin versions made by Wolfgang Musculus and by Christopherson. It was reserved for Valetius Valois in 1659 to produce the first really great illustrative edition of this priceless record of Christian origins. The Latin fathers demand a briefer treatment than those of the Greek church. A good deal has been said already as to the reappearance of those authors who had been forgotten, and as to the labors of scholars upon the text of some who had always been studied. We may therefore in this place confine ourselves to a select few of the earlier Latin writers. The Apology of Tertullian was printed in 1483, but the first edition of any considerable part of his works was supervised by Beatus Reninus in 1521. Gagneus of Paris added some eleven tracts to those previously known in 1545, and Sigismund Gellinius improved the text. By 1625, the whole of the writings we possess had appeared in print, and the editions were numerous. Those of Rigault, of which the first appeared in 1633, did most for the text of this earliest of the great Christian Latinists. Rigault had access to all the principal manuscripts, whether preserved in France, as those of Pitou and Dupuis, with the famous Agobartian Codex in Germany, as that of Fulda, or in Italy, as that of Fulvio Orsini. Cyprian, in a gravely interpolated text, was read throughout the medieval period, and five editions of his works appeared between 1471 and 1500. He was one of the host of writers who profited by the scholarship of Erasmus, and the first Basel edition was out in 1520 and was often reprinted. Latino-Latini undertook to edit the works, but was prevented from completing them, the results of his labors taken up by others saw the light in 1563 at rome the same decade witnessed the appearance of morel's paris edition 1564 and of that of j de Pamel, antwerp 1568 the former is said to have improved the text the latter to have corrupted it by the use of interpolated manuscripts an epic making edition was that of nicholas rigault in 1648 the Latin apologists alone remain to be discussed. Lactantius, first printed in 1465, was one of those writers who appealed most strongly to the humanists, and the number of reprints of his works belonging to the 15th and 16th centuries is correspondingly great. The first critical edition worth mentioning is probably that of Basel, 1563, with the commentary of Be Betuleius. Arnobius and Menucius Felix go together the only two manuscripts of their writings which we possess have handed down the octavius of the latter as if it were part of the disputaciones of the former and the two editions appeared before the mistake was detected the first was that of faustus Sabaeus of Bracia, rome fifteen forty three librarian of the vatican to whom our oldest manuscript now at paris belonged sigismund Gellinius three years later at basel of the great post-Nicene fathers, eastern or western, we have decided not to speak in this place. It has already been said that they attracted attention from the first moment of a revival, and though much notable work was done in collecting and publishing the writings during the sixteenth century, a review of that work would swell the present chapter to an undue size. We prefer to notice the rise of those great collections of the minor Christian writings which are generically known as the bibliothecae patrum. It was the chief merit of these that they brought together, and put into the hands of a large circle, a number of brief tracts of the most diverse ages, which ran the risk either of passing unnoticed, or dropping out of existence altogether. That the texts of the works thus published were uniformly good, we neither expect nor find. But of their extreme value to the men of their time, there can be no doubt, even now they are the best available authorities for a good many writings. The series is headed by a publication of siscard of Basel, 1528, called Antidotum Contra diversas Heresias. It contains treatises by 20 authors, the earliest of whom is Justin Martyr. The Micro of 1550, also a Basel book, numbers 32 writers. Aristeas, the fabulous chronicle of Philo, And the letters of Ignatius and Polycarp are among its contents. Five years later appeared the Orthodoxo Grapha, edited by Harold, with seventy-six headings. The collection of Grineus, issued with the same title in fifteen sixty-nine, includes eighty-five. The printer of these four was Henricus Petri. Basel then began the work with credit. Zurich produced somewhat similar publications between fifteen forty-six and. 1572, under the auspices of Conrad Gessner and similar. But the productions of the two Swiss cities were surpassed, if not superseded, by the issue in 1575 of the first edition of the Paris Bibliotheca Viterum Patrum. Its editor was Margarine de la Bige. And the collection appeared in eight sections or classes arranged according to the character of the writings in each. In the first, for example, were epistles. In the sixth, commentaries, and so forth. A supplementary volume was issued in 1579. Something over two hundred and twenty writers of all ages, from the first to the sixteenth century, are represented altogether, and the whole work is in Latin. It was dedicated to Gregory the Thirteenth. In 1589 came a second edition, in nine volumes, increased by the addition of a good many treatises but marked also by the omission of several which had called forth the censor of the authorities. Among these were the works of Nicolas de Clamange, whose anima diversions on ecclesiastical matters had seemed to surpass the bounds of fair criticism. So dangerous, indeed, did the collection appear to some minds that the Jesuit Posseven declared that it is impossible, salva conscientia, to keep either of the first two editions of the Bibliotheca on one's shelves, and more than one detailed censure of the book was issued in the editions of sixteen ten and later efforts were made to remedy the faults that had been noted and in sixteen twenty four appeared the first of a series of publications in which the greek texts of some of the authors hitherto only published in latin were given this first octarium was edited by the jesuit fronton de Luc du caius the final and largest form of de la bing's Bibliothèque was issued in 1644. In 17 volumes, it contained writings of about 200 additional authors. Arrival to the Paris Bibliotheca soon appeared in the shape of the Magna Bibliotheca of Cologne. The first 14 tomes, with preface by Allard-Weill, were published in 1618, a 15th by Andreas Schott in 1622. Their appearance provoked the publication of an octarium to the paris collection by gilles morel at paris in sixteen thirty nine a noticeable point about the cologne bibliotheca is that its contents are digested in chronological order each volume comprising the writers of a century similar arrangements were adopted in most of the subsequent bibliothecae cologne did not continue the rivalry and the last work of the seventeenth century in this department was again the product of a french press. It was the maxima bibliotheca issued at lyon in sixteen seventy seven in twenty seven parts the next century witnessed the appearance of a still more comprehensive corpus of patristic literature in the shape of galandi's bibliotheca venice seventeen sixty six but the publication of mean's enormous patrology never likely to be surpassed in extent in the middle of the nineteenth century has largely superseded the earlier collections which we have been reviewing. Let us attempt in a few closing paragraphs to sum up the results of an investigation which has covered, however incompletely, a wide range both in space and in time. We have seen reason to place the first symptoms of a revival of Christian learning as far back as the 13th century, and to connect the beginnings of the movement with England. In the 14th century, the scene of activity has shifted to Italy where the impulse given to classical studies reacts upon theology. Not until late in the 15th century are the effects of this awakening visible to much purpose in France or in Germany, in the Low Countries or in Switzerland, but throughout the succeeding centuries these countries continue to produce indefatigable workers and noble monuments of learning, while Italy and more evidently Spain gradually lose the predominance they had once held the rapidity with which the light spread in Germany, has been the subject of comment already. France's achievements are not less noteworthy. Le Frey Taples, Michel Fatebla, the Hebraist, Gention, Hervet, the translator, the Etians, who cover the whole field of Greek and Latin literature, De la Beigne Rigault, Dacare, Fonton le duc Combefis, All strenuous workers in the patristic and medieval departments, these form an opposing list, and one that might be largely increased without difficulty. Nor does the secession of scholars cease with them. It continues throughout the seventeenth century, and culminates in the noble erudition of the congregation of St. Mar. It is dangerous to attempt to characterize the work of whole centuries in single phrases, but there are cases, and this seems to be one of them, Where the progress of a movement can be marked out with approximate accuracy and its stages defined in such a way the three centuries from the fifteenth to the seventeenth with which we have been principally occupied had each its special form of contribution to the movement which we have called the christian renaissance the fifteenth century was the age of collection the documents were brought together and the great libraries formed the sixteenth century was the age of publication what had been recovered was given to the world by the great scholar-printers and the seventeenth century was the age of criticism with the documents now before them men settled themselves down to the improvement of texts and the elucidation of subject matter to an extent which had been impossible for their predecessors the names of Niccoli and poggio of erasmus and de la ben of usher of valois give a fair indication of the several activities which seem to us To have characterized the periods we have passed under review. End of section sixty.